Welcome to Duck Podcast, Episode 8, Better Quality Sound Through Trial and Error. Welcome back to the Duck Podcast. We're here, Episode 8. We're back in the Duck Radio Studios. Mm-hmm. We've got our whole setup here, and yeah, it's been working pretty well. I'm, of and course, we may or may not release pictures in the near future. Yeah, who knows? I'm Joel Adria. Kevin Lau here. And so today... We have a few things we'd like to talk about today. Um, we mixed our first band today, so it's pretty exciting. Um, I finally understood the concept of headroom peaking and plus four, <laughs> although I had a bass game. You know, we'll talk about that in a sec. But, uh, and Firewire 410 recording, which we are doing at this moment. Exactly. Um, Skype does some network support that we, well, we found out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we have the apps of our week and some security news that, isn't really news and people on Dig hate me for, but I thought was kind of important um, regarding the Opera Mini browser. All right, so uh, let's get started. Let's get yes. started. So um, today we mixed our first band at school. We had our, uh, it was a French band actually that came through. Um, it was really good. I thought that it was just nice that it wasn't a huge gig. It was like, you know, it was it was a pretty big event. Like there was probably, we were hosting a bunch of junior highs at our school and so, I mean, it wasn't like a group of people I all knew or anything like that. But it was nice that, you know, it was sort of more of a low-key event than what we so, sort of normally do, like Triprog. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the same time, Triprog was happening at the same time. Right. And we so were there really was, glad that we didn't have to do the Triprog event that high. They right. Had some there was this big tournament at our school. And, and in, uh, in the fall, we did the volleyball edition of it. And Kevin's sort of been working on tripod. They've been kind of disorganized, so we tried to stay away from them. Um, and they didn't. They they sort of shied away from trying to use their resources that they had available to them. Um, they had a video team and, and a tech team ready to help out, and they just sort of did their own thing with and hired some companies, which is fine. Uh, it was less work for us, and and we got to do this band that was happening at the same time. Um. So yeah, it was really nice, and the band was, you know, it, they were a good, they were really good. Like they sang some cool songs, and they were, they were great artists. Um, but they certainly were, you know, they were a low key band, so it wasn't like they were all snobby or anything. They were very helpful and very understanding of our, uh, you know, that we weren't our a professional situation. venue. Yeah, we're not. This is a school, you know, whatever. So um, that worked out well. We. Uh, we were hoping to do a monitor system, but we what we ended up doing we we mic'd uh, the vocals and we mic'd uh, their their acoustic or sorry yeah electric guitar, um, and then we did a direct line for the bass, and then we mic'd a whole drum kit. It was actually pretty elaborate, and so that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We got got to use our snake out this time. Yeah, again. I finally got to use our snake. You know, for some of these things like. I always recommend um, buying stuff, and I always have this sort of vague idea that we're going to be doing a band someday, and that it would be sort of convenient, you know, to have all this stuff. And so we finally got to use it. We finally got to use the, you know, 100, 200 total feet of XLR that we ordered in the past few weeks, and the two mics, and all the stuff that we've been getting. Uh, We really got to put it to good use, so it was good. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that the band used was, uh, were the Shure PG series microphones, which Joel is using at this moment. Right, we're on the PG48, which I still have not bought. But Kevin might be. You're, did you say you wanted to get the SM58? I might get the SM58 if it's reasonably priced, and I might sell this to you. But it's yeah. 120 dollars for one with switch without cable. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm sort of really trying to weigh out the benefits of the SM58 versus PG48. I mean, that doesn't sound bad at all right now. Right, and I, you know, to be honest, I, I can't. I think when if you look at uh sure gives you a little guide here and the 58 series versus the 48 the, basically there's the the PG or the SM is sort of you know entry level sort of economy and series basically the difference versus is, uh, high yeah. end and the difference is uh, sort of in the build quality and like the SM series is designed for like long term usage and you can re- replace the parts whereas the PG series is more more of a disposable type thing which is reasonable considering that the device is about $30 yeah considering it's like a fraction of the cost um there's definitely no reason to, if you're just a pro sumer type you know and uh, and you know, if you're miking your own band, if you're miking like we are, there's really nothing wrong with a PG series uh, performance gear is what they call it. Anyway, so the 48, we're, I was just we were just comparing the 48 to the 58. They look almost identical, um, but the 58 is really aimed towards like vocals, like singing, and the 48 is more spoken word. So if you're doing a podcast, probably 48 would do you just fine, but certainly for the 58 would give you good vocals like we were, were doing today. If the interesting thing about the frequency response on the PG-58 is that uh, it drops off at the very high end, yeah. which is a feature, um, And I, I think guess. it's a feature, yeah, because, I mean, what happens, and I noticed this today, you know, I, I've never mixed a band before, so I mean, it was really an interesting experience to see what happens, like in terms of vocals. You have to pump vocals because every the whole band will just drown out everything else, and so you need to pump those vocals. And at that level, um, if you don't cut off the highs, and if because it's doing it at the high end, it's sort of convenience sort of thing. If you don't cut off the highs, you'd have huge feedback. Um, so this that really gives you sort of an, an easy advantage to that. Um, and so, yeah, that's the sort of the main difference between 58 because, you know, really the vocals end up being really loud and you need to really pump those. Um, yeah, what else? Oh, well, also they had a whole sure drum kit that was SM. And so we got to, we didn't play around too much with it. And we sort of had about a five minute, you know, uh, um, five minute sound check. It was kind of ridiculous because there was and a also lot of the time, and also the free, this is also a feature on the SM58 microphone that's it drops off at the top. Basically, I guess it, it, then it is a feature and it might just has a sort of better frequency response compared to deadly. Yeah, so um, that was the PG series, uh, and there was just one other thing um, about. Uh, well, just I found that we oh, yeah, we but, had mic'd yeah. his guitar, his guitar amp. And he had his amp pretty loud. Well, it, it was, you know, he didn't really need miking at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and so, I mean, it was offering, the, of course, I turned it off for the main mix, basically, because anything louder would have just sort of blasted away the whole mix. Um, but well, the thing about guitar amps is that they're designed to be, like, self-sufficient. Like, you don't need to right. have any kind of reinforcement for that. Like, you never have to reinforce guitar amps if they're pretty decent. And uh, people... Playing the guitar usually like to use their own amps because those amps have special tuning features to affect the sound that you can't get if you use just a plug right into a mixer. Well, that's um, 
I think the issue is that, yeah, it's basically that people, you know, guitarists really, they enjoy having, and we're not really musicians, so we can't really um, approach that aspect. Um, but really, they, they want, I think they want to be able, have control over the sound, definitely. And so in a larger space, yeah, you'd probably want to mic it. Um, I was watching a few series on the M-Audio, oh no, is the um, BSM, BSM? BSW. BSW site. They had some tutorial videos from this uh, lady who's been doing sound for a very long time. Anyway, so she was saying how, you know, really there's no rules really about it. It's what sounds good. Um, if you want to mic the amp or you don't want to mic the amp, it's just, you know, what sounds good in the room. Um, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit weird for me because I'm always worried about the numbers and the levels. Kevin likes numbers. I like listening. Yeah, <laughs> which is our next topic. Um Oh, yeah. Yeah, anyways. Um, but just before... Uh, so, I mean, I think, personally, I would have preferred to have turned down his amp and mic'd it a bit more because that way I can control... Like, I, I really felt that his highs were just really piercing and, and ruin, totally drowning out all the vocals when he, you know, he was doing higher notes. So, I mean, it would be nice to have you know, that control over it so that you can blend the mix better. And I understand that, you know, it's nice to have so that he can control it a bit. Um, but in terms of effects and stuff, I mean, that's what pedal, pedal controls are for. I mean, that's, you know, we're obviously we're not doing it. That's almost become an extension of the instrument nowadays. Um, anyway, so that's that's an interesting thing. You know, try try different things. You know, I, I would have liked to had the time to turn down the amp but despite those stuff. things, like, uh, actually, we were sort of in a rush because there was a lot of things didn't get done on the other side. Like, for example, we didn't get the curtains closed. Didn't lock the doors for people who were coming in and trying to see what was going on. But yeah. it wasn't that disastrous. It was pretty decent. It was so. pretty relaxed, too. You know, there's no, no Yeah, rush, I wasn't panicking so. or anything, which is pretty good. Yeah, good. <laughs> so uh, that's our sort of rundown on the, on the band we mic today. It was pretty exciting. Uh, and I had a lot of fun. So um, we've, yeah, we've been setting up our little station our D- duck podcast studios again uh today over at kevin's house um and so yeah i just sort of had my some... birthday on the Yay, birthday yeah happy birthday kevin um so i've just been sort of looking at headroom peaking plus four blah 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 and which i just which are terms, you know, terms that i have been throwing around for a while yeah kevin <laughs> throws out terms and it's just sort of like he'll explain it really fast and then explain it really fast some more and then explain it faster and it's just sort of like I don't want to listen because it's just like he's just explaining randomness. So I just sort of ignore him for most of the time. But uh, so, you know, I just let it sink in and then figure it out for myself. Um, so, really, I mean, they're talking about, you know, and Kevin's probably rambled on about it on the podcast before. Uh, but really, when you're talking about headroom, you know, most devices, and I think Kevin and I still disagree on this. He's like, everything needs to be plus four, which is, you know, Giving you that extra headroom. Well, the thing is, my point of view on the high high line level voltage is because uh, if you have a high line level, then over long cable runs, you'll have less voltage drop, and exactly. so that raises the noise floor. So you have more distance between. Yeah, you know, and, and when he back. says things like raise the noise floor, that's where I usually drop off because I have no idea what he's talking well, about. Well, signal versus zero ground. Okay, see on a mic on a mic. That's why you want to use balance because it's a very very right. s- low voltage signal. Gets the mixer and gets amplified there. So in other words, in other words. You know, it, you have those lights on your mixer, and w- when you're at z- peaking, when you have o- limits at zero, you need some space so that when people go, Poof, 
you know, you're not going straight into red or distorting or anything like that, which is what it's like at our school. We were, we were running into that. Although it didn't sound terrible because everything was just so loud anyways. Um, it is, it's good to have that space between zero and peaking um, before you, you do distort like that. Anyway, so that's, you know, that's headroom's peaking plus four, blah, blah, blah. And basically headroom is accomplished by having a higher voltage in the mixer. So when they design it, if you have a good power supply that can handle this load, then you'll always have higher headroom because you always want to have higher voltages in the signal. When the signal is higher, when the signal has higher voltage than the mixer's internal bus, then that's when you get clipping because then it can't create a difference between the signal voltage and like the power input voltage, bus voltage. Kevin's a diehard, you know, Mackie right. fan. Okay, so uh, yeah, we're today. So the uh, title of episode eight today is Better Quality Sound Through Trial and Error. And um, so today we've, we're set up our studios and uh, we've got our mixer and the PG-48 and blah, blah, blah. And this, today we're recording it right into the Firewire 410. So with the equipment we have, we're pretty much recording exactly what we all, basically we have everything that we have going at the Right now, so. mm-hmm, which is good because everything from the mics down all the way to the Firewire 14 is all fully balanced, so it should be pretty quiet. Yeah, noise. yeah, hopefully it's pretty quiet. Yeah, we'll, you know, we'll have to compare it to like something like this week in tech that is like really heavy compressed and really good and high quality, and we'll see if we can for as good as them, even though we're not over Skype today. Mm-hmm. The thing about the 410 is that it clips at zero. We were talking yeah, about head really hates that. I know because I, when I do mixes, I do it as high as possible before clipping. So this is at the plus seven level, okay? And then I have to adjust the gain on the on the M audio because it clips at zero. Because well, it's sort of annoying because when you're talking into a microphone, the levels are always going to be dynamic. I mean, if someone, sometimes it's natural for someone to just randomly talk louder, and then like that's when you blow up everything in here and sometimes when Joel talks a little bit louder I can see the clip lights turn on here <laughs> but anyway um, it's pretty decent for computer recording though it's very very uh, high quality yeah many channels yeah lots of channels um, okay so today okay well I, I was going to talk about my app of the week but I'll change my app of the week to my little app of the week and then we'll talk about iChat with Skype, because okay. this is Skype sort of evolved from our experience with that. Sure. So Yuri and I, uh, he was on before for a little while. Um, we were playing around with our laptops when we were bored um, in class or not. Uh, it was it was like during it was after class. It was like we were done really. Um, we so you can it's really amazing because we both have MacBooks more or less identical. Um, you, I just create network over Wi-Fi. You know, I, it's just like create network, and it's amazing, and I love how ad hoc it is. Um, type JMac, uh, and Yuri connects to it. And once we open both open iChat, what comes up, and I, I think you might have to hit window bonjour or whatever, um, you get this nice window, and it just finds all the Macs on the network. And you don't need to have an IP network. It's all zero config over this, you know, fancy bonjour thing that Apple has been doing. Which is those 169.254 IP addresses. Yeah. You don't need to have, like, proper networking. You can just have bonjour, and it will figure out where your computers are. Um, So, anyways, so that will give you a whole list of all the contacts, and you can do amazing video conferencing right over the network. So, okay, 
that's cool because where you know I could be in one class and Yuri could be in a different class and we could just like video conference like it, it would be sweet and it'll be over wireless you wouldn't need any routers there'd be no internet connection there'd be no wires nothing you just go and it'd just be like instant video conference what about some more uh Official, useful applications. Okay, so that's cool, right. Okay, but say, okay, now we all know that you plug in a FireWire video camera into Mac OS X, and it's a video device. That's one of the things I love about OS X, is it's just like there's so much hardware abstraction that if a device works here, it's going to work everywhere. Um, it's going to work in Skype, it's going to work in iChat, it's going to work in iMovie, it's going to work in Final Cut. It just, it just works. Um, anyways, so I can plug in a FireWire uh, video camera, HDV, well, actually I haven't tested HD, so I shouldn't say that, but... Um, Something DV? Uh, you know, HD probably will work as long as it can outstream out DV. Um, but you can just, we tried this, I tried this at home, you just plug in a uh, DV video camera, and that becomes your video device in iChat. And, okay, so imagine you have your MacBook, you shove it in your backpack with Insomnia X, which I should add this to the app of the week, but whatever. And barring the possibility of overheating your laptop inside which your backpack. never happens, trust me. You're, you're not going to overheat. Well, okay, I shouldn't say that. Backpack. You might explode your laptop, but I'll be honest. I've somehow, like this one time in like last year, my laptop didn't go to sleep, and it just, like, hung out in my backpack in my locker, like, for two hours. And it was really warm, and my knapsack was, like, a giant greenhouse. But it was fine. So, I mean, you can't Kevin has yeah. these horrible dreams of, like, his processor shutting down because it's too hot. Or, like, you know, that somehow the life of his processor is being shortened because it's too hot. Well, okay, I, okay. I, well, I got Quite these. frankly, I got these. processors don't die, you know, earlier because they've been, you know, overheated too much. Really, I think your processors, you're going to, your processors are going to go out of style. You're going to stop using it before that happens. I'll okay. be honest Well, with you. That's I, my I learned these from dealing with Pentium 4 processors. Right, they get, they get okay, really hot. Okay, okay? Pentium fours are totally different. I know, I know. Okay, I'm those just, are things are going have... at like three point six, three point eight gigahertz, and it's like la la la. We're running along at like fifty million degrees if we don't have a heatsink. Yeah, I know. Core two, the thing totally is, different. I know it's totally different, but I can't get the idea out of my mind. I know. It's, it's, it's. I mean, it's. Kevin these, likes to you know buy five dollar thermal paste and put it on his processors blah 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 and i you know i'm don't get me wrong i like having a cool pc but i much prefer silence and you know not worry about it so much well i'm the inverse of that i install as many case fans as i can get servers are blasting away anyways so but, that's, yeah i mean the thing okay, about the core okay, two is wait, that wait, they wait, have wait, automatic okay, wait, okay, rat we're, hole, off rat hole. Like... we're totally like diving into some other thing yeah. when we were talking about laptops and knapsacks. Okay, so if you wanted to do this for, say, like an hour, obviously running video over wireless is going to take quite a bit of power. So you're, you're not going to be doing this for more than an hour and a half. But you could throw the, your, your MacBook in your knapsack, have a FireWire cable coming out. It's streaming wireless to another computer within whatever wire, Wi-Fi ranges, 300 feet, if you have N, maybe more. Actually, uh, for ad hoc, it's slightly less because... Uh, access point. Whatever. All right. <laughs> if you're using an access point, you might be doing that. Um, you can stream it to another computer. And this video is, like, top-notch. It's streaming at H.264. You need to, if you enable the full bandwidth, it just goes. 
Um, and if you need audio, you can do that too. I would probably, if we were doing this in a, in a real situation, I'd probably stick with wireless microphones or whatever. Um, but, you know, you can, you can go out, you could have instantly... Um, but it is a good video sender system. Up to date, there has been no decent video sending system. For microphones, they've made so many developments. They have diversity. They have, like, multiple antennas and all that. But for video, you're still stuck with these little annoying 2.4 gigahertz devices, which are still affected by your nearest microwave or your nearest wireless network. So this is a really good uh, digital alternative, which has really low latency because of its inherent design as a video conferencing tool. Right. And so I'm, I'm not saying that this is like a great invention and that, you know, it's just come out or whatever. But really, it's an interesting um, application of it that we just sort of realized um, that would probably be quite useful. I mean, I, for example, one of the things that we often do, well, we've done in the past at our school is we'll have huge events where the gym is just too small to accommodate everybody who's there. So what they'll do is they'll set up the theater and they'll bring in a, co- a third-party company who does a whole rebroadcast to the theater. Now, one of the issues is that it's really expensive, um, and we don't get to do it. So, I mean, this way we really can we can do it with our own equipment. It would be very easy to set up because everything just configures like that. You could probably do it wirelessly, or you could do it cheaply with, you know, a couple Ethernet cables, you know, running from one one room to the next. Uh, and it, it, a, it would be a fairly inexpensive The advantage is that it does work properly over it Wi-Fi. It works properly it's over Wi-Fi, very usable. Yeah. Totally usable. So, I mean, yeah, if you, or, you know, if you could even, what you could do, uh, I'm trying to think if this would work. Well, you could, you could use, you know, three Macs or two Macs wireless um, and mix video with that, you know, as wireless cameras on stage. You, know, you could do tons of things. Actually, that was, cool. that was always one, what I wanted to do during events. We always have a projector facing a wall somewhere, and then ha- I would be using a camera that I would be unable to move anywhere because I had tied up. Being tied down by a stupid six-foot RCA cord. It's very annoying. So this is really good. Anyways, okay, so that's iChat, and that, unfortunately, is really Mac only. Um, I've been trying... I mean, what you can do, you can stream to AIM, but that would be over the Internet, and we haven't really tested that much. Um, but you can... Uh, yeah, we haven't really tested that much um, over AIM, sort of Mac to PC especially over the network. The issue, the beauty of this is that there's no internet. So, I mean, there's no internet involved to make the connection. Um, so we were talking about, about Skype. Skype will, if you're on the same network, it'll figure, it'll negotiate that connection. Um, although we noticed we still that... Have, we still have to just figure out a bit if it's if it's a router thing, something built into the router that will... Because you know routers, oh, it they're, they're really smart. There's, they know where the packets go, so they send it back. If it's going back to itself, we'll send it back to itself. The thing is... But, um, it, what we know is the video is a direct point-to-point. However, it still connects to an, like a, a type of authentication server for your, that handles your account and sort of pings that once in a while. And if it can't get to its authentication server, then it'll tell you that it's connection lost, even though really you don't have, haven't lost a connection to the person you're talking to. Right. So our experiment was we had a local network, um, and we had a connection up to the Internet. We connected to Skype with the Internet on. Um, made a, teleco- a video conference between two computers on that local network, unplugged the main internet connection. It still ran for about 30 seconds, and then it said connection lost. So really, I think what it's doing, I don't think it's checking, it's not, authentication server is sort of a, it's sort of ambiguous in, in that 
uh, authentication is really just the act of logging in. Um, but really, it's checking with that third-party server to see if, you know, maybe there's a better connection or whatever. Uh, it's checking in a few every probably every minute, and it, at that at certain point, it just dropped off. And so it also I'm, shows how Skype is really dynamic depending on the network conditions that it's in. Sometimes you're behind like modems, telephone modems, and tons of firewalls and stuff, and that's very it's really annoying. Yeah. But Skype can blow right through yeah, all those, although program. sort of. Maybe with more compression, maybe lower quality, but it can get through, get the message across. And if you have a very, very high-speed connection between two points, it'll also go through that fine. For some well, point. and I think, I mean, high speed is nice, but I think definitely um, reliable and steady connection is more important. I know that on the Twit network, they'll set up ISDN connections between the two, between their two locations. And because ISDN is so solid, um, even if it's only a megabit or whatever, um, it won't drop any packets. Yeah, well, the thing about I, yeah, it is a very constant speed. It's even I'd say it's even sort of more constant than Ethernet is on a local network. Yeah, So uh, yeah, that's our sort of Skype and iChat I mean, it would be nice fun. if they could incorporate this offline use feature, which would like automatically detect all the computers in a network and see if they have Skype clients enabled. I guess that's not really the the main point of Skype. The Skype point is basically to talk to people like from dispersed locations. But yeah, it'd be well, nice to have a local right. And I think in the preferences for Skype for Mac, and we haven't tested. I should test this with Yuri. Um, there is a, a look for bonjour or use bonjour, and I don't know if that just sort of an auto detection feature. Like if you make the connection, it'll see if it can negotiate locally the network, or if there's some hidden feature that shows up contacts that are on bonjour. Um, I don't know. Anyways, we have to look into that. Yeah, if, if, it, if it works uh, with Mac and Mac, that's re- all good. But Skype is really good for also for its cross-platform ability, if you haven't realized yet that right. Skype was like the first method that you could use to video conference between multiple platforms like right. Linux, Mac, and PC. Yeah. And it works so, uh, very well in all three. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, let's uh, – okay. We're going to reorder stuff. Let's start off with Opera Mini security thing. All right. Um, so – Opera Mini, for those of you who don't know, is sort of this web browser. Um, and, and apparently I didn't really read into it before I installed it. Um, it's just a little browser that replaces the browser on your phone. Well, it's in addition to the browser on your phone. Um, and it really the beauty of it is it runs on pretty much any cell phone. I've got an ancient little SCP-2300 by Sanyo. Uh, and it runs Opera Mini. It's not the latest version, but it is a version. Does it run on something else, like is Java or something? It's Java, um, but they run it in, like, no, it's Java. I mean, all phones run Java. That's basically what they do. It's Java to me or whatever. Um, so it turns out what Opera does, and the reason why it's so fast, is all your traffic is, first of all, all your traffic is going through their servers. So I mean, obviously, you wouldn't expect that. You know, you, you would you can come to assume that your data probably isn't very secure on the internet. Blah blah blah. And, you know, but it is going through. So if you're entering blank passwords, if it's not on a secure page, you're going to be. You can expect that. You know, but that it's going to be going through Opera. Now, the big issue is that uh, if you try to log into a secure um, to an SSL or a normally SSL'd um, secure connection, such as your bank, uh, your Gmail, your Facebook... Well, Facebook... Yeah, is Facebook SSL? 
Should we? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> don't Facebook. Know. Anyways, so there's a few of them, or you know, well, there's not a few of them. I mean, anything that you need to authenticate securely, um, it'll give you this little red box and tell you that this connection is not secure. And I always sort of assumed that that meant they was just sort of letting me know that your connection is going over the air through your cell phone, blah blah blah. It might not be very secure. Turns out Opera is actually decrypting your connection. It's acting as a proxy so that it can resize the elements of the page. And you basically, that SSL connection is not SSL at all. You have no secure connection. Um, all your passwords are being sent in clear through their servers. Okay, so you're saying that Opera isn't just like a web browser in, a, in definition where it just accesses a server. It goes through always. Right. Always through it's the just, server. It's always going through the Does server. Does that slow down performance a little bit? No, no, no. The point is that it's speeding up performance. Okay. Th- that's the reason they're doing it because right. what happens so is – it doesn't have to download like, the full page elements. Exactly. I mean if you load Facebook or whatever, um, if you load – Also, Facebook doesn't support HTTPS completely. It always redirects to the yeah, – okay. um, But if you go to any website – I mean websites nowadays, and I kind of have a you know beef about that, but – Website these days, they're like 200K. Like, people are like, oh, we'll just huck images and JavaScript and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, most browsers, they're just like, oh, look, data. We'll just keep downloading and downloading. And it'll take like five hours to load 300, 400K of JavaScript images well, that you can use. Of course, you have to realize that the web is designed for, you know, full-fledged computers, not really well, for mobile devices. Well, the idea is that with standards, you're not supposed to do that, blah, blah, blah. Anyways. Hey, my website loads fine. Hey, I know. So does mine. Hey, mine loads great, too, on portable devices. That's that's the beauty of standards is that it's going to load on anything. Anyways, um, so what it does is it's going to scale down any big images. It's going to strip all that JavaScript that you can't use off. It's going to take a bunch of HTML out, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that saves a heck of a lot of data from going through your connection. Um, so it makes sense. Um, but it's good to know that your secure connections, well, that, and I think a lot, I sort of posted this to Dig and everybody was like, eh, you know, read the instructions, it's clear, blah, blah, blah. Um, just for those, I think a lot of people don't realize this, that Opera Mini, they're, they're decrypting your information. And it, you should be really aware of that. Okay. So let's talk about uh, Skills Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, it's event that's happening in May. Uh, in yeah. right this year, it's uh, happening in Calgary, which is slightly annoying for us for Alberta. <laughs> and uh, it's happening in um, Stampede Park, and basically, there's a lot of skilled and trade uh, competitions going on, and people get to prove how good they are. And uh, Joel went to do web development last, last year. year. Yeah. So um, we'll and I, I'll sort of tell a little bit of story about that. So Skills, <coughs> excuse me, um, Skills Canada. You know, you the idea is that you sort of make your way up. So you you start out at provincials or regionals, um, compete in your level, and you can sort of move up and go to nationals. And there's even worlds and stuff like this. So. I did web development, and I'll be honest, uh, it wasn't that fun. <laughs> like, I do a lot of web development. Like, I do a lot of people's websites, um, you know, pretty basic stuff for the most part. Um, but I do do, you know, a fair amount of it. I manage quite a few sites and make some good money doing that. Um, and I'd say I'm quite knowledgeable. But really, I work in a, in a very different way than they expect you to work there, Um you get there and 
you have no access to the internet. I mean, obviously it's a competition, so you can't be downloading, you know, sites that you made before. Um, and you basically have access to one book that you can bring, and then of course it's a, the book is shared with everybody else in the competition, so that's you know equal. And then you can borrow other people's books, obviously. Um, and that's what you have. So if you want to bring PHP, you know, and you really also need CSS, you just cross your fingers and hope someone brings a CSS book sort of thing. And, you know, there's a pretty wide variety of books. So but you were saying that it's a sort of focused on a more design and development, was that right? No, I think really, I just found, I think it was a good balance. Obviously, they didn't really tell you, they weren't very clear about what they're really evaluating. And I mean, I mean, obviously, they're evaluating the whole picture. Like, is there dynamic content? Is there a proper design? Does the site work properly? Um, you know, does the, does the, are the scripts, you know, up to sort of the standards? Like, work, does your email form work properly? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and they want the whole package, and they want you to present it professionally. You, you do a little presentation at the end. Um, and I just found it wasn't that interesting. It's really hard to develop, at least for me, um, without the tools. I'm used to working on my Mac with so Coda this, and this having the tools yeah, I yeah. need at my fingertips. Um, and this was sort of developing on a foreign platform. So it was, it was hard. Um, and I think probably if you taught at school all these web development stuff, you'd probably have a better understanding. But uh, I just didn't find it that great. Well, these are just... Uh, the <laughs> well, they're trying to. It's not really simulating the real world scenario. In real world, yeah. you'd be able to go on the internet, look up things much easier think, than right. using a book. I mean, computers and books. I don't get the link between those, but yeah. some people believe in them. <laughs> but then the thing is, I mean, it, this is exactly how the school teaches you how to use everything. You have to use Dreamweaver, Flash, and, and all those book, all yeah. those things. You, you, you like they don't want you to hard code it, okay? They like. Mm, you want to have you have to learn how to use Dreamweaver and all these yeah. and all these development tools. I mean, sometimes like okay, that's a development tool. Some people like it. I don't like it, and this is test isn't fair for me. Is that anyway? So Skills Canada, if you're out there, um, mm-hmm. something either needs to be changed, either drop the event because it's kind of lame. Um, well, I guess I'm I'm sure other people enjoy it because they they take CTS or whatever. But really, I don't think it offers a fair representation of what is out there in the real world. I think if you want to go into web development, um, you're going to be start getting a startup going. You're going to be a part of a startup. Um, you might be developing web page personal web pages like I do for other people. Um, and it's more I don't know. It's more hands on or something. Anyways, mm-hmm. so well, I'm looking into. Taken IT network support right. this year, which is basically uh, setting up routers, network equipment, installing operating systems, dealing with user support on a sheet of paper. That is, but uh, well, it's basically what I've been doing for like the last you know two three years. So I'd say I'm pretty good at it. But I I see they involve quite a lot of Windows components for the for the secondary and post secondary gets to deal more with Linux. I mean, I'd say I'm sort of a bit better with Linux system system administrator. Administration, but I can learn Windows fine. I have a terminal server set up. I can add more roles to that, and I'll just learn that way because I learn by doing things, not by reading books. Hmm, yeah. So uh, um, yeah. So yeah, IT and network support. You know, I I I saw that, and I because t- Kevin was going to go into web development, I was like, eh. And it's also a, I did see yeah. they were doing some really cool stuff. Like they they basically just like give you a computer and are just like have fun. You know, like basically screw around with stuff. And Are there lots of 
participants in that event? You know, no, like I noticed that there wasn't that many people there when I was there, and the entrants were like four or five. I think the main issue is that like no high school in like the province is like, hey, let's have an IT network support group. Well, um, they sort of they sort of teach you the basics. Of they teach you basic network- networking, but, but then I mean, like they don't teach you how to deal with it all the time because you're not dealing with it all the time at right. school. You have and to I do think. It- for most of your life, you really know how to do this. But. Yeah, and like my cousin, I know he took a class like that, and you know. But I think probably the amount of people that know about it and enter it, it's it's quite low. So I mean, you have a good chance of winning or or whatever. Um, and then I'll be doing video production with someone else, um, and so you get to again. They changed the rules last year. I noticed that people were just like bringing in their own computers. Um, which I would have preferred because we have some decent equipment now. Um, but they changed it. You basically, they just give you a Mac um, to work with. Final Cut or iMovie is your choice, which I am wondering if it's going to be the latest iMovie or not, and blah, blah, blah. So we'll see. Are how you looking that into goes. doing video production this year? Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a way to listen. Yeah. No, I am listening. <laughs> Anyways, um, like, so they what? give you a Mac and then you bring your own camera. So we're hoping, I guess we haven't talked about this much. Did we? What? We want to get a camera. Oh. A- we H- talked about it slightly. X- XHA1. Mm-hmm. Canon XHA1. You're still going for that HDV stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you hate tapes, and I still like tapes and blah, blah, blah. But anyway. Um, uh, so we get to bring our own oh, yeah. cameras, mm-hmm. and you basically just sort of produce a short segment on whatever topic they give you. So mm-hmm. it should be interesting. So 16th Annual Provincial Skills Competition, May 22nd, 23rd, 2008, Stampede Park in Calgary. For more information, skillsalberta.com. So, moving on to uh, my app of the week. Is that it? Yeah, go ahead. So, uh, basically today we switched our streaming solution to uh, IceCast. And uh, it's the same thing as Shoutcast. It's the same protocol, but... The main difference is that Shoutcast on Windows basically gives you like a box with text only on it, and you configure it with the text file, which looks like uh, one of those Windows uh, INF files. And uh, basically, it's it's sort of ridiculous to work with. Like whenever someone connects this big like log list on your screen, it's not really useful for monitoring. IceCast gives you a nice graphical user interface that tells you about how how like server status green red running stopped uh what servers who how many people are connecting and statistics for that and uh so that's what we've been using and uh also for the other end it's oddcast which would replace your nullsoft uh, dsp plugin for winamp but, i mean for me i never really used winamp for the music uh playlisting they always came from a different source so uh WinApp was only only used just to send like sound card input to there. But Oddcast, you can you can get the stats the standalone edition, which takes the audio from the directly from the sound card input, and uh, so it works with Icecast. And uh, one of the advantages that Oddcast has is that you can define all the streaming options with a number, like uh, like the bit map, bit rate or sample rates, or it can specify it in quantity. With uh, Shoutcast, it was only a drop-down list that you had to select from, and sometimes it's the options that they provided weren't the optimal. Like, it would have, like, decent bit rate, but really low sample rate. Like, what we're, what we're going for is sample rate. It gives you the clarity of sound, and then bit rate is how much data you're pushing through the pipes. But quality is something that's arbitrary. It's like a percent, and if you don't want to deal with bitrate sample rate, you can use that. It has more encoding formats than the Shoutcast, which is only MP3 it. or AAC. So Shoutcast is an open source thing? Uh, Shoutcast isn't really open source. It's just a software by... Oh, sorry, software. sorry. Icecast is, is open source, though. 
Possibly. <laughs> okay. uh, but and it's so not it, really that open, but someone's going to correct me on that, I guess. But anyway, it has more well, encoding okay, formats. You can use a Wikipedia AUG. says it's it's maintained by the ZIF.org Foundation. All right, all so right. it sounds pretty GPLE okay. to me. Um, and I think it says that so you can you're saying how it can do like other codecs. So you can do like Yeah, Dora, you can just you can just throw whatever DLLs Orbis, you have for the for the codecs and then you can just AAC. use that. Of course you have to make sure that your user base uses it. I I'm using MP3 because it's most compatible with most players here. Um have you tried so you've tried it with iTunes? It works with iTunes. Yeah, it works with iTunes because it's just an M3U file. Oh great. Well that's good. Um because I thought I've I've played around with Icecast before and I found that it was like I think they don't support OS 10, or it's like a really well. Icecast is just a server software; you can throw it on your nearest server. No, I know, no. It actually probably runs better on a proper, on a proper server machine on, on Linux. But with Windows, like I said, you have a GUI. App. But if you don't have a GUI, Icecast always has the the web administration, which is just if you use a web browser to no, access your server. Um, Shoutcast also has this kind of this kind of facility, but like Shoutcast only gives you like basically information in your your list, but Icecast lets you totally administrate everything. See, everything that you can get on the graphical user interface, you can get on the web administration, which is really good. Especially if you're just throwing on a random server and you need to access it from somewhere. That's good. Another great... Uh, and Oddcast, one of the advantages of Oddcast is that made a metadata, which is a uh, song info, stream information. You can, with, uh, basically with... Uh, Shoutcast DSP the on Winamp, it would only you would only either be able to type it in manually or use what's in Winamp. So which is not it's not helpful if you're not using Winamp. So uh, with Oddcast, if you're streaming from some obscure program, you can just use Stereo Mix in to stream it out, and then you can it can take information from another application, like it can take it from a tile bar, or a portion of the uh, of the screen, or and they can you can also set o- options to chop off. After a certain limit, so after, like sometimes a program will all obviously have its own program name on it, so then you can just chop that off so it doesn't get encoded into the stream. Of course, you can always type it in if you need to, which is what we do here because I haven't really figured out how to do the URL file, which I'll be looking into later. Um, it also has a useful feature, which is a stream archiving, which could be useful for podcasts if you don't already have another recording method. It saves it in WAV format and its date, and you can get it at oddsock.org. Also, Icecast can get it at Icecast.org, obviously. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's actually quite a bit of stuff from ziff.org. Uh, they do a lot of open source codecs. Um, I think, you know, open source codecs are sort of an interesting concept. Like, basically, there's this whole weird open source community, mostly ziff.org, that is just like, Let's make all our own codecs. And so there's like Flack and stuff. And and some of them are pretty good. Like I think Flack, it's like an open source AAC version of AAC. And I think some of these codecs are pretty good. Oh, of course, Flack Orbis is lossless inherently. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. It's lossless. That's what it is. So, I mean, there's different things. I think the main issue is that most players, most portable media players don't support them. Um, people you know, have if hard times trying to convert it to converting and transferring. Stream, like, you know, I've I've had a few people formats. hand me CDs. Like, I've, well, I've had one person hand me CD, and it's like, it's Og, 
And luck, they're just like very lucky that I happen to have the AUG, you know, QuickTime components installed on my computer because otherwise, you know, can you imagine sticking an AUG encoded audio into like a bare bones Windows PC? It'd be like, what the deuce is this? Like, so. Or try plugging it into a DVD player or even yeah, a CD so, player. Yeah, I mean, so that's I think work. the compatibilities are some issues. Um, of course, if that's a problem, everyone should keep a copy of Audacity in there. Everything, everything, basically. Yeah, yeah, export to lame, whatever. So, anyways, that's uh, that's if.org if you want to check that out, org. Anyways, my quick app of the week is called iTerm Here. Uh, it's this little program. I actually haven't downloaded it, to be honest, but I have used stuff supposedly identical to it. Um, it's this little program. If you're in the Finder, you're browsing around, you like to get access to the terminal really quickly... Um, you can drag this either into your finder bar or run as a script. It's just a little tiny application. And it'll instantly open up a terminal. But iTerm, there's there's terminal here, and that will open up a new session in terminal.app. It's, of course, OS X. Um, And it'll automatically CD to the directory you're in, which is quite nice. You know, if if you're deep down into the roots of your document structure and you don't want to CD into, like, the billions and billions of folders you have. You just click that button, and you have a new session that you're, you're working in. Yeah, uh, Microsoft released something identical for Windows XP in, in their Power Toys. It's called CMD here. And you oh, just yeah, right yeah. click, and just, yeah. it would instantly bring yeah. you a box right there, which is really useful for... because every time I get, go into a CMD window, I keep typing LS. It's not working. <laughs> so I have to get PowerShell at some point. PowerShell, but anyway, yeah. um, they need to release Power Toys for Vista. I mean, I missed the image resizer. I missed the raw. Uh, image. Well, there's tons of stuff out there that does that. Yeah, I know. I mean, stuff. it's something that's nicely seamlessly integrated into the right-click menu. That would be nice. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, uh, okay, so there's the, the terminal here. That'll give you the standard OS X terminal if you're in Tiger or Leopard. I think it works in. And then there's the iTerm here, which apparently they're on some tco.net. looks like kind of an educational type hosting. So... It's not available right now, but it does the same stuff. iTerm here. If you're a fan of iTerm, it's a bit of a fancier and more powerful version of Terminal. Although it's kind of getting you know close to Terminal now that Leopard has some pretty neato features in there. Um, but if you like iTerm better, this will do the same thing but with iTerm. So hopefully that will help you out if you're a Terminal guru. Um, and I think that's about everything for Duck Podcast. Mm-hmm. Constantly getting better every episode. Yeah. Better quality sound through trial and error. Okay. I'm Joel Adrian. I'm Kevin Lamb.